Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We want to just read from verse 11 uh, through to the verse 26. A very familiar portion of scripture, uh, Matthew 27, and reading at the verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, And thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. And then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marvelled greatly. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We end our reading just there at that verse 26 of the chapter, knowing that God will add his blessing to the public reading of his precious word. Just a very simple but a very uh, interesting thought. Uh, a number of years ago I came across an article uh, by a Jewish rabbi. Uh, he was dealing with the Holocaust and referring to the six million Jews that had lost their lives at that time, who were murdered at that particular period of history. He said that he had come to an understanding uh, that the Holocaust, as we know it to be, was really the fulfillment of what his forefathers had cried out 
here on this occasion at Pilate's judgment hall when they said his blood be on us and on our children. And he said, I do genuinely and sincerely believe that that was revealed at the Holocaust. Not for me to engage in the buts and ifs and wherefores of that assessment, but I thought it a most interesting analysis from a Jewish rabbi. The final moments of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ's earthly ministry have been both documented and preserved in a most remarkable way. When we carefully consider the evangelist's account, we are given the fullest possible coverage of events that have been formed into the most important doctrine in the entire scriptures, particularly in relation to the gospel that we are called to proclaim. Now, while it might appear negative to suggest that the reliability of the witnesses to this 24-hour period remains absolutely crucial, we believe that their testimonies were based on hearing and seeing that which was governed by the gracious Holy Spirit. The beloved Saviour had many natural enemies in the city at that time. Religious minds had been perverted through prejudice. Political representatives had become nervous and unsure. While those who could and should have stood up for their master were found in the shadows of anonymity. This left the scene free for certain individuals to take the role of major players in events that their reluctant participation could not force their uh, withdrawal. With the Jewish high priest, Caiaphas and the Roman governor, Pilate, being especially identified. On both accounts, uh, there is more than sufficient detail uh, to explain the message of the gospel in terms of its means to challenge, it means to convict, its means to convert. And when such solemn attributes are carefully examined in the light of Scripture, we discover that Caiaphas and Pilate were confronted with enough observable and verbal evidence for them to see that their judgments were severely flawed concerning the blessed Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen the brutal and cruel actions of the people as they mercilessly inflicted their venomous desires upon the one who was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened and not his mouth. They had heard the unsubstantiated accusations echo through the airy atmosphere of a city that was becoming more and more tense as the day began to dawn. And they both had to dismiss uh, the contradictory accusations from a people who were blind in prejudice and who were dominated uh, with pride. Sadly, there is no record uh, to indicate that either of these two major figures, uh, that is, Caiaphas, the high priest, or Pilate, the Roman governor, uh, were brought to appreciate uh, their need of God's salvation. 
But what we read of them, and particularly of Pilate, it brings a timeless message in the gospel to all of us in this service tonight. For it reminds us that the Saviour was presented to him. It is very clear, as I read about Pilate, that Pilate showed no initial desire to meet the Son of God. True it is, he had heard of him, like so many others in Jerusalem, but this meeting was totally unsolicited. And is it not at this point where the thoughts of every unsaved person readily converge? I know of no man, I know of no woman in my ministry who has been able to create a natural interest in this whole question of salvation. In fact, it is just the exact opposite. With considerable ease, people turn off their volatile attention from facing up to the issues of their sinful heart. So it is a perfectly normal reaction for that which is impure to deliberately avoid meeting someone who is sinless and undefiled. Now Pilate had many opportunities to summon the Messiah to a meeting in that the Roman governor could have invited him on many private occasions and could have met with him even as Nicodemus had met with him. But now the matter has been taken out of his hands. And instead of him inviting the Lord Jesus Christ into his presence, the Lord Jesus Christ is presented to him. Now this is a common thread throughout the Bible. I think of Zacchaeus. He had no notion in his heart the morning that he woke up Uh, that before the day would be through, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be his invited guest in his home. Uh, The same could be said of Mary Magdalene or any one of the Master's disciples. But surely the most remarkable day uh, for a man born of a woman was when Saul of Tarsus was converted on the road to Damascus. His strength of opposition against the very thought of being saved is well documented in the pages of Holy Scripture. Yet at the end of that day, the soul was wonderfully converted. I think I can speak for any who are not saved tonight, not, I hope, in a prejudgment way, but when I say this, that whenever you woke this morning, It was not your intention to become a Christian. In fact, it was your thought that you would go through the day as you would go through any other Sunday. You would do the things that you normally do. You would attend to the matters that you normally attend to. And then on the time of the services, you would come and you would sit and you would go home again as has been the normal practice. But wouldn't it be a wonderful moment if you went to bed tonight a child of God? Pilate 
did not solicit this meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither of you. But he's here to speak to you. In this meeting, this presentation of the Saviour was not just unsolicited, but it was unusual. For several years he had been aware of a ministry that had created controversy, particularly among the highly charged leaders of the religious communities. He had been familiar with their public prayers. He had been alerted to uh, their in-depth study of the scriptures and he had observed their strict adherence to the Sabbath day. But now, he is witnessing something unusual. Uh, These men that were so ready to promote their piety and so ready to advance their religion are now acting in a a manner that is totally out of step with what they profess. And if you had been in Pilate's position, I venture to say that you would have seen nothing attractive in the religion of these Jewish people that would have drawn you to what they believe. I say this with a great degree of sadness that sometimes those who are not saved see the Christian testimony as being unattractive. Sometimes the unsaved (coughs) they hear us who are saved criticizing and condemning one another And they say within their own manner of thinking, that's unusual. That's not what I expect. And they are absolutely right. But if that has been your thinking, and it has been part of your analysis of the Christian life, can I make this point tenderly and lovingly to you? I deeply regret the behavior that sometimes we who are the Lord's people present. But please don't go to hell because of me. Don't so focus your mind and concentrate your thought upon the faults and the flaws and the feelings of those of us who profess to be saved (coughs) and at the end of the day reject the Saviour from your heart. Pilate must have been mesmerized as he saw these religiously minded Jews act in such a brutal and cruel fashion as they did. So this presentation of the Saviour, the Saviour being presented to him, it was unsolicited, it was unusual, but it was unveiling. His meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ 
not only left him with a serious dilemma, but it unveiled, it unveiled the flaw in a Roman law that was to backfire in his face. By that I mean uh, that Pilate here was making every attempt possible uh, to placate the Jews of Israel. Rome had agreed to release someone uh, at this time of Passover uh, that would be requested by the Jewish people. It was a policy or a strategy of appeasement. Uh, they thought if the Jews could make a contribution in this way, uh, then it would keep them subservient to the laws of, of, of Rome and that would give good relationships between the two sides. But human legislation cannot deal with the riotous intent of the heart. And no matter what laws people bring in, governments impose, the heart is deceitful and is desperately wicked. I believe it is important that we emphasize and we stress the moral law of God. But I was greatly challenged the other day when I listened to an uncle of one of the murdered Jewish teenagers from the city of Hebron. And he was also comparing the situation to that of the Palestinian young lad who was abducted and murdered in East Jerusalem. And as he was speaking to the public media, he said that the Torah, the Word of God, it says, Thou shalt not kill. And he said, That applies to everyone. Not just simply those who captured my nephew and his friends, but it applies to the people who did what they did to the Palestinian youth. But there's a problem. Everyone throughout the world would say what he stated. There's not one that wouldn't. Thou shalt not kill. But the problem is this. That the first four commandments, they speak to us of man's relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto me any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it away. And what I'm stressing is this. That until man's relationship is right with God, it is not going to be right with his fellow man. That applies to this country as well. People will emphasize and underscore the moral law. But when it comes to man's relationship with God, it's dismissed and rejected. <coughs> Pilate saw that. 
in these Jewish people. He could see how they were taken up by envy, by jealousy, by prejudice against the Saviour. Tragically, that remains true to this very day. I wonder, dear unsaved one, as we present the Lord Jesus Christ to you, as he was presented to Pilate, I wonder, will you come? And will you trust him tonight as your saviour? The presentation of the saviour. But just very briefly, there is the prevailing of the sinner. There were certain things that prevailed upon Pilate. We see that he had a conscience that was restless. Uh, And this was highlighted whenever his wife came to him and said to him in a most open and uh, frank manner uh, to have nothing to do with uh, this just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. We, we don't see or we have no record here of the detail of her dream and what the dream was to consist of. But we know that this dream that she had was a source of troubling to her own conscience and as she communicated it to her husband it touched his conscience as well. I'm very much aware that the Bible speaks about man's total depravity. From the crown of her head to the sole of our feet, we're nothing but a mass of wounds and bruises and purifying sores. But you have a conscience, and so have I. And if I could describe the conscience in this particular way, your conscience is the highest part of your life in terms of how you live. If you do something wrong, you feel it it's your conscience Pilate's conscience was troubled he was faced with an issue here whether whether to release or to condemn And if I can bring it into this particular verbalization, you are faced with the same issue. Either to accept or to reject. He had a conscience that was restless. But he was also prevailed upon in a confusion that was relentless. It's hard not to see this Roman governor in a form of a most pathetic specimen of humanity. He thought he he thought that everything was watertight as far as his argument was concerned but it wasn't. And the problem was this 
But what the devil seeks to do by way of imposing upon your heart and upon mine is to confuse you about the gospel. One dear lady was saying to me some time ago that as she had been praying for her son and weeping for her son to be saved, someone said to her, but if he's not numbered amongst the elect, he'll never be saved. Let me explain this to you. The Holy Spirit would not cause a dear mother to be broken hearted if he was not striving with her son. The Holy Spirit doesn't mislead a child of God. And when the Holy Spirit puts that burden upon the heart of a dear wife to pray for her husband or a husband to pray for his wife, there's meaning behind that. It's not confusing. It's an order that you who are the subject of that conviction should come. Pilate was faced with confusion here. A confusion that was relentless, but also with a crowd that was rebellious. You get a sense here of how as the crowd converged in that part known as Pilate's judgment hall, that they were being whipped up. Indeed, the Bible speaks here of the chief priests and elders <coughs> persuading the multitude uh, that they should ask Barabbas, uh, and then they add these words, and destroy Jesus. I find those words very heart-wrenching. That was their objective. He had already in a sense, I suppose, aggravated their thinking when he said way back in the early days of his ministry, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they hadn't forgotten that because they cried out, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now they say when they get the opportunity, destroy Jesus. That's the objective of the world tonight. Hasn't changed. I want to put it to you like this. Are you on the side that wants to destroy Jesus? Are you on the side that wants to cry out, My Lord and my God? There's no neutrality here. 
you're either on the side that vocalizes this thought, destroy Jesus, or on the side of being one of his children. I conclude with this thought. We have the peace of the Savior here. For even though the ecclesiastical and civil trials had taken place in an atmosphere of injustice, the Lord Jesus Christ is pictured here as the very personification of peace. Pilate said to him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him not a word. this pilot gets embroiled in the whole situation we're told when Pilate saw that he could reveal nothing he couldn't fight it anymore those of us who have been greatly privileged to be in the ministry will always recall with thanksgiving the first person that we had the opportunity of leading to the Savior. In our own case, a dear man by the name of Sergeant Dodds had been transferred from the Moy in County Tyrone to, to Musgrave Street in Belfast. He had attended some gospel meetings held by Dr. Douglas in the Moy district before he was transferred. And he, he came to live in East Belfast and he and his wife, they started to come to Sandown Road. We are just a little group of people, much less, probably half, maybe even less than half what we have here tonight. And as I shook hands with the people at the door, I, I knew all who would be going out. I knew that two were missing. And I went back in again. And sitting there in those wooden chairs in Sandown was this big, burly policeman, Sergeant Dodds. And he was in tears. And he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, I fought this for far too long. I wonder tonight, have you fought this for far too long? Because if ever you're going to be in heaven, you're going to have to come. The precious blood has been shed. The means of grace have been opened. Why not come now? When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, 
He gave in. Gave in to the crowd. But now that you can see that you prevail, can prevail nothing, give in to Christ. Surrender to him. And accept him as your saviour. Thank you so, so much for listening. Let's unite our hearts together, please, as we pray. In just a moment, we'll sing some verses from a closing hymn as we end the Lord's day in the Lord's house. But could I just say that I am your servant for the Master's sake? I would be very, very honoured and very privileged to talk with you. I have already alluded to the fact that as you woke this morning, it is probably unlikely that you would think about becoming a Christian today. But so did Zacchaeus, so did Mary Magdalene, so did Saul of Tarsus, so did all of us. The day that we woke up, the day that we were saved, we never thought we'd be saved that day. Or that night. But God in his mercy saved us and he can save you as well. And if I can be of some help to you, I'd be very, very honoured to sit with you and to open up the scriptures of truth to your heart. Father, thy dear people commence today by asking thee to be one of their number. Thank thee for answering their prayers. Save those who are not saved. May they discover even now through thy spirit that they can prevail nothing more. May they yield to thee and surrender to the claims of thy truth. This we humbly pray for our Saviour's sake. Amen.